Well, good morning. Uh, this morning, we're in between series. Uh, I'm kind of kind of stuck in between uh, Christmas and our and our next series coming up. We walked through Second Thessalonians in the fall, and uh, over the past past few weeks, we've been looking at the theme of light as it relates to Christmas. Next week, we're looking forward to Pastor Keith uh, beginning a new series, walking through Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. So I hope you're planning on being back as we start and launch a new series next week. And so that left me in a little bit of a predicament. I had to uh, choose something to preach, and that sounds great. I get to do whatever I want, except then you start looking at the Bible, and there's a lot of choices. Uh, so what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to stick with the theme of New Year's, and and we'll... I'm going to want to turn your attention to the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossian church. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. Now, we're just going to look at one verse, this one sentence this morning. One sentence written by Paul that is six verses. I'm pretty sure he has much longer sentences, so we'll try to move quickly through these verses. We're going to be in chapter, uh, in verse 9 of Colossians 1, so you can kind of just bookmark that for a little bit. Considering we just did begin a new year, I thought we'd, we'd come to this prayer here, really, and, and ask the question, now what? Now what? Christmas is over. Most of the parties are over. Vacations are ending. Kids are about to head back to school. And people are asking, well, now What? I assume that for many, there might even be an air of disappointment that comes with all of the holidays ending because that means that real life is about to kick in. It means that that vacations are ending, but it also means that school is beginning. That means work and chores and all the parenting has to kick back in because we've been a little lax over the holidays. And so all of these things are just around the uh, corner, and, and maybe even there's some that are just lonely, and, and Christmas and times like this are, are a time uh, that bring us joy, and, and now we're sitting in a place and we're saying, well, well, now what? And I think there's even some out there who their idea of Christianity and religion is to come to church on Christmas. Well, that's over, and now they really don't have use for the church or religion, and so they're too saying, now what? At least until next Easter, right? I think that this morning, as we look at this brief prayer by Paul, I hope to bring you some encouragement that will hopefully give you a positive outlook, answering the questions, now what? What do I do with my religion? What do I do with my Christianity? What do I do now that Christmas is over, the mundane is ahead? What am I going to do in 2022? Well, just to set the stage a little bit with some context, it's the Apostle Paul who's writing the letter to the church at Colossae, he had never been there. He didn't plant this church, but a fellow worker, Epaphras, did. What likely happened was Epaphras came from his hometown over to the city of Ephesus, not too far away, heard the gospel from Paul. He received the gospel, got saved, and then took it back to his neighbors, his co-workers, and the church was started. And that is the Colossian church. And so over time, Paul gets a report back from his friend, fellow worker, Epaphras, and Epaphras commends the church on, on quite a few things. And if you read through the first eight verses, which we won't do, Paul is writing and, and he's commending them on three specific things. He, he commends them, he praises them for their faith in Christ, the love that they display towards one another, and then their sure hope of heaven. And, and these virtues are a repeated theme throughout the epistles. Faith, hope, 
and love. It shows up in Romans and Corinthians and Colossians, probably almost all the epistles here. And Paul doesn't write these three words lightly, faith, hope, and love. He doesn't know that they're going to make nice posters at Hobby Lobby for you to put in your living room. That's, that's not really what he's getting at here. I, I think he's really saying that faith, hope, and love, these are core characteristics of the church, core characteristics of the Christian. They're foundational to the Christian life. And he wants to commend the Colossians. They're doing a good job. But it also seems that the church is in a little bit of an impasse. It seems like there have been some teachers, some teaching that has, that has come in, and the church isn't sure what to do with it. Paul didn't teach it. Epaphras didn't teach it. But there seems to be a group of people that have come in and said, hey, we know something that Paul didn't. We know something that Epaphras didn't. Why don't you follow us? And, and you do this and you do that and we'll let you in the secret club. And so the church then is asking, well, man, we're just baby Christians. We're trying to figure out now what is next in my Christian walk. But now they've got false teaching and they're again asking, now what? Now, we're not going to answer all of, all of those questions here this morning. But I think we, what we want to understand is that Paul is telling them what's next. Paul is telling them what's expected in the Christian life. He's talking to them about how to live life in light of the gospel they had received, but also in light of the circumstances that they have found themselves in. So he's writing to encourage them, address some of the false teaching, but also to propel them forward in their walk with Christ. So as we begin a new year, as we walk into 2022, I don't know where you're at. You may be asking, now what, for a variety of different reasons. But the encouragement to you this morning is that Paul's prescription remains the same. Because his prayer, he's going to list four prayers. We're going to break up his one prayer into four prayers for the church. And I think they will apply to any Christian, anywhere, in any circumstance, in any time. These are universal truths that hit at the core of what it really means to be a Christian. Before we dive into his prayer, I just want you to notice the first few uh, words of verse 9. So I encourage you to have it open in front of you. We'll just kind of be walking through it throughout the morning. But he starts and he says, And so from the day we heard. So when Epaphras came and tells, told him all about that the church was doing, we have not ceased to pray for you. You know, Paul didn't know many of these people. He had never visited them. He maybe knew two or three of them. But he cared for them. And he cared for them with a Christ-like love. And he cared enough while he's sitting in prison to say, you know what, I need to write some encouragement. There's probably a whole sermon there. We might wrap around to it at the end. That's not the focus here this morning. But I just want you to notice Paul's heart is for the church. And if he was writing in 2022, I think he would write this same prayer to you and me today because his heart would still be for the church. So as we look at this prayer for the church, the Colossian church, I think we can find it instructive as well. Because if Paul desired it for this church, he would also desire it for our church. So I just want to read the whole prayer, this long run-on sentence with a lot of semicolons and commas. Let me read it for you. We'll pray briefly and then dive into these four parts of his prayer. Paul says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, 
bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, I pray that you would make this truth apparent to us today, that you would take these words, that you would implant them in our minds and our hearts, that we would find ways to walk out these truths day by day. Lord, I pray your blessing on the message this morning, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So in these verses, we're going to break it down into four prayers. Four prayers for the believers in the church. The first one, simple. Know His will. Not Paul's will, God's will. Know God's will. That's his, his prayer. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will is what Paul says. Now you might be thinking, well, how am I supposed to know God's will? Because sometimes when we talk about God's will, we're thinking about a map or an itinerary, a, a treasure map that we have to connect all the right dots and, and make sure we stay on the path to, to do just the right things to figure out what God has in, in store for us. And so we ask questions like, well, well, what should my career be or, or who should I marry or well, where should I live? Where, what should I do today, God? Just reveal your will, will to me. I don't think that's what Paul is talking about when he, when he says that we are to be filled with the knowledge of his will. We could take a side little theological sidebar and talk about there's really two aspects of, of God's will, his will of decree and his will, will of command. And that might just get boring real quick, so I'll put it simply. There are things of God that we cannot know. His sovereign will. And nothing happens in his sovereign will that he doesn't know about. That's his secret, his sovereign will. We can't know that. That is of God. Everything that comes to pass is of God, and that's his sovereign, his will of decree. What's going to happen is going to happen because God is sovereign. But there is another aspect of his will, what we might call his will of command or his revealed will. Now, this is the will that we can know. This is the will that we should know. And we know this is true because Paul tells us that we are to be filled with the knowledge of his will. So what is then God's revealed, or sometimes you hear it called the preceptive, or his will of command? Well, this is simply what God has revealed about himself, his plan, his purposes to us. Well, how did God reveal his will to us? Well, through his word. We can know many things about God's will simply by looking into his revelation to us. So, for example, we know that it's God's will that we should speak the truth in love. I can tell you that's God's will for your life. That's not because I said so. That's because Paul said it, Ephesians 4.15. I know that it's every man's responsibility to repent and to turn to God, because it's found in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. I know that it's God's revealed will for you not to commit adultery, because it's written in 1 Corinthians six eighteen. I know that it's God's will for your life that you should not get drunk. That's Ephesians five eighteen. 
You see, the, the revealed will of God has been revealed to us in His Word. It's what He requires of us. Now, we can reject that. We can reject Him and His commands to our own peril, but it is plain to see and it has been revealed to us. And so Paul says that he wants the church, the believers, to be filled with the knowledge of His will. This is the kind of things that he's talking about. That which has been revealed to us through His Word, which then is empowered and enlightened to us by His Spirit. But notice in this verse what characterizes this knowledge of God's will. He says first that we should be filled. That we should be filled with the knowledge of His will. The word here describing this idea of being filled means exactly that. Think of a cup. Fill the whole thing up with water. It's completely full. That's what Paul is saying that we should do in our minds, in our hearts, with the will of God. We should fill our entire cup. And the good news is, I should have copied and pasted, I was reading commentary, it doesn't matter how big your brain capacity is, it's not a comparative thing, so even if you have a small little brain or like a small little cup, you're just called to fill that cup up. If you're really smart and have a big capacity for knowledge, you can memorize the whole bot. Well, okay, you got a big cup to fill up. We're not comparing how much we know to one another. He says we're to be filled with the knowledge of His will, which happens as we get into His Word. And the important idea behind being filled is not just that we have a bunch of brain knowledge. Okay, because I think what experience would tell you is that whatever fills us is what controls us. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, what am I filling my mind and my heart with? If we're filling it with the knowledge of the will of God, that's what's going to flow out of us. If you fill it with, I'll let you fill in the blank, that's what's going to come out of you. Paul wants us to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, not so we have a big head, but so that we might be controlled or even constrained by the will of God. He then gives us two more things. Spiritual wisdom and understanding. There's a familiar verse. Maybe you know it. Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This is what Paul is addressing. That not only are we filled with the knowledge of God's will, but that We need spiritual wisdom and understanding. Spiritual wisdom is exactly what it sounds like. It's wisdom that comes from the Spirit, not ourselves, not from man. You see, in order to truly understand ourselves, in order to really truly understand how the world works, we need spiritual wisdom. We need to know how God has ordered things. We need to know how God has created us. We need to know what God expects of us and how the world operates, and that's only through spiritual wisdom. It's God's standards, not our standards. Spiritual wisdom can only come from one place, God's Spirit. And we get this spiritual wisdom from His Spirit through His Word. As we dive into His Word, We learn more of God. We learn more of His plan. We learn more of His purposes, His will. 
And so that means we are constantly taking our thoughts and then pushing them and saying, God, show me, reveal to me, give me your wisdom as I interact with the world around me. And then he says understanding. And I would say that spiritual also modifies understanding. So you have spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. Well, what's the difference between wisdom and understanding? I think the simplest way to address this would be spiritual understanding as the application of the spiritual wisdom in whatever situation or circumstance you find yourself in. So spiritual wisdom is understanding who God is, his plans and his purposes, where spiritual understanding would be how do I take that wisdom and now I want to apply it to the specific set of circumstances that I may find myself in from day to day. I think that we want to understand that when we have a question, when something comes our way and we don't know how to handle it, when we are not sure about what step to take. What do we do? We go to Scripture. We ask God for wisdom to figure out how to apply Scripture to a specific question, thought, or step. And so Paul's hope for the believers is that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And that spiritual knowledge would produce godly wisdom that would then result in spiritual understanding, which means clear decision-making, right actions. And so in honor of it being New Year's weekend, I put these in the form of four resolutions. I don't know if I've ever kept a New Year's resolution in my life, but if you want to keep these four, I promise you'll be blessed because they're not from me, they're from Scripture. Resolution number one, I commit to be being filled with God's Word. It's not that hard, except I get it. How many times have you started? Has anyone started a Bible reading plan? Like yesterday, you're like, here we go. 365 days, I'm going to make it. Yeah, but how long do you really think you're going to go? How many times have you read Genesis? Because that's where you started the Bible reading plan. Right? So let me help you out. Go pick up a chapel Bible reading plan. Or or download the Bible app and pick one of the hundred Bible reading plans. But then go a step farther. If you want to make it past January 15th or January 31st, take this next step. Tell someone what you're doing. Even better, invite them to do it with you. Whether it be a friend or a spouse or a small group or a pastor or an elder here, say, hey, I want to do this. I want to stick to this this year. Will you keep me accountable? And it doesn't have to be like an everyday thing. Hey, how's your reading going? Hey, what are you doing? What are you reading? What are you learning? You want to be filled with God's Word. You want to know His will. you got to be here. you got to be in it. I cannot tell you how many times I've talked to people. Well, I just, I'm struggling to understand like what God wants me to do, like this and that and that. Oh, okay. Tell me about your Bible reading. Oh, well... Like, I started this Bible reading plan on the Bible app. It was really cool, but I did it for like three days, and that was three months ago. But I really want to do that sometime again. There's your answer. This is why you do not know God's will for your life. Because you don't know God's word. Because you're not in it. Paul's prayer for the church, here in the text, and I believe us today, 
is that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will, which can only come if we commit to being filled with God's word. Stick to it this year. That's just number one. We'll keep going. Knowing God's will is only the first part of Paul's desire for the church. So let's look at verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul's second prayer for the church was that they would walk his way. Not Paul's way, God's way. That they would know God's will, but that they would walk God's way. He says, so as to. Again, it's not just about having a big head and knowing a bunch of stuff about God. But we know God's will, so as to walk. But not just walk any way we want. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. And this is maybe the most crucial, especially in a mature congregation like ours. The knowledge of God's will must result in action. Or else it has no value. The knowledge of God's will must result in action. So what does it mean to walk in a manner Worthy of the Lord. This idea of worthy could literally kind of be defined in a manner fitting or deserving of some person or other object. And so what Paul is suggesting is that one's life, our lives, are being compared to something other than ourselves. And in the context of Christianity, this comparison is Christ himself. We are to walk in a manner that is fitting or deserving of Christ. You ever heard a parent tell a kid, act your age. They're being way immature. Paul's saying, if you're a Christian, act like Christ. You should live a life worthy of the title Christian. We'll get to it in a minute. I know you're not Jesus. And no, you don't have to be perfect. But the way we live our lives ought to be reflective in a way that is fitting or deserving of the title Christian. Paul's goal for the lives of this church and our church today, by way of implication, is that we would have Christ-like character. Walking God's way. We walk in God's way. We live a life that's pleasing to Him. Well, Hebrews tells us the requirement. Hebrews 11.6, right? And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. How do we live a life pleasing to God? It starts with faith. It starts with trusting Him, trusting His Word, trusting His will. We, we have faith. We have faith. We're dependent on Him. And that then leads to obedience, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is what anchors our understanding of how we are to live as a Christian. Pleasing to Him, not ourselves, not people out there, but pleasing to Him. And so Paul gives us two things to consider for this idea of walking worthy of the Lord. He says that we are to bearing fruit in every good work. Earlier, he actually used the same kind of language. It's the end of verse 5 and the beginning of verse 6. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, 
which has come to you, and indeed the whole in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. So the word has come to the Colossian church, and it's increasing, and it's bearing fruit. What's doing the work? It's the word of God. Paul knows there's power in the word, and just as the word of God, the gospel, is growing throughout the church and the region, he's looking to believers now, using this same language, to say that we ought to be bearing fruit in every good work. Well, how are we how are we to bear fruit in every good work? It's not in of ourselves. It's going to be only through the word of God. We bear fruit as we're in the word and we put it to action. And now we're bearing fruit. And this is why he can say in every good work, no matter what we're doing, mundane, boring, great, we bear fruit when it's grounded and rooted in the word of God. Then we know we're secure in his will. But it isn't just about our own personal holiness either. Just as the gospel was expanding and influencing other people, I think Paul's expectation is that as we bear fruit, we're influencing those around us, that we are benefiting the other people by the way that we are living our lives, that people see Christ in us, and that is causing them to have a desire to live in a way that also honors and glorifies the Lord. When God fills us with knowledge, and wisdom, when we understand a little bit more of his character, his purposes, his plans, we then get to participate in that work. I promise you, part of that work has to do with influencing those around you. It matters how we live our life. We're to be bearing fruit in every good work, but then look at what he also says in verse 10, and increasing in the knowledge of the Lord. As we seek to walk worthy of God, as we seek to please him, we put that to action, what happens is we increase in knowledge, look carefully, of the Lord. Now we've moved from a knowledge of His will to as we put this into practice and as fruit is produced in us through His Word, now we get to know who God is through experience. It's not just a head knowledge, an intellectual thing. Now this is married to our experience. So it's both intellectual and experiential. This is what it means to be a Christian. We're putting the word to work. And as we put the word to work, we get to know more of who God is. And it increases. And, and this is like a cycle that goes around and around. So as we learn more, as we grow more, as we experience more, that's going to lead us to then learn more and grow more and experience more. But we have to be honest and understanding that sometimes this isn't always easy. This isn't just one glorious upward trend and we're just never get discouraged and nothing ever goes wrong. No, but I think this is the key to, to what it looks like to, to truly walk worthy of the Lord. Here's how I put this resolution. I commit to put my knowledge to work. So I commit to being filled with God's word, and then I commit to put my knowledge 
to work. To work implies that it's going to be hard. And sometimes we can feel like we're going in circles and going in circles, but we're never really gaining anything. And I read something encouraging. I, again, didn't copy it to get the exact wording here. But instead of thinking of it as a circle that we're just going around and around and around and never really getting anywhere, the picture of progress in the Christian life, think of one of those big, huge mountains, steep, huge, tall mountains. Well, they usually don't plow a road straight up the side of the hill too steep can't do that so what do they do they spiral spiral around and around and around and it may not feel like you're going up too much but with every cycle with every revolution with every knowing god's will getting into his word putting in an accident i'm actually taking steps higher up in elevation i think it's a picture of our walk and our progress in god as we continue this cycle of pouring in god's word of putting that knowledge to action then we're, we're moving up just a little bit each time towards God. But if we're not careful, we realize that, man, this is hard. This gets hard because life happens. Circumstances come. We get tired. We get weary. And we realize that, I don't know if I'm equipped. I, I don't know if I can really handle this, if I, I, can, I can do this. And this is why Paul continues his prayer with a third plea. And, and here's his plea. Embrace his power. Embrace God's power. How are we supposed to be able to do this? Well, we rely on God's power. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Sweet. This verse says it's not about me, it's about God. And I get God's power. I'm strengthened with all power. I can do all things according to his glorious might. Really what that's saying is, According to God himself, we've got that power. And I'm like, I'm ready. Give me the power. I'm ready to do some miracles. Who's sick? I've got the power of God. Bring them on. Right? I'm ready to throw the rivers open. We just did the Red Sea in Sunday school. Right? God, what are you have? I want your power. I get God's power. Paul says it right here. I'm excited. Let's go. Maybe I get to command angels today. God's power is available to us. That's what it says. Might want to keep reading. According to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience. What? Endurance? That implies that something's going to be hard. That I might have to work. And Paul says, "Uh uh-huh. And God says, "Uh uh-huh. But don't worry because you have God's power. But God's power isn't for you to look cool and start a Marvel movie. God's power is to give you endurance. What's endurance? Well, that's simply to deal with life circumstances. When things do go wrong, when hard times come, when things that are out of your control, they go sideways, where do you go? You go to the one who gives you power to endure. And the only power that will enable you to endure this life comes from God. His mighty power. You know what my tendency is? Things don't go my way. My wife in here. To complain. To be critical. It's just my nature. But you know what that means? I'm relying on myself. Why? Why would I do that? I've got God's power. If I take my complaining, 
If I take my criticism and go to him first, how might that change my day? How might that change my year as I look ahead? God says we have his power. Rest in his power. To endure, but also to be patient. Now this one may get tricky for some of you, because now we move from life circumstances, and you're like, oh yeah, that's pretty good, to people. That's where his long-suffering. Now we're not just talking about you know the, the, the flat tire that you get on the highway, life circumstances, but now it's people. It's people who maybe have wronged you. It's people that you don't like. They're kind of annoying. They might even be sitting in this room. And God says, "Uh uh-huh. But you have my power. You have my might. Based on who I am, you can be patient. Instead of getting angry, instead of wanting to get revenge, you can forgive. There is no earthly reason that you will forgive someone who has seriously wronged you except for the power of God. Know his power. Know his power. Rely on his power. Embrace it in your life and you will see that this is the power you want. It actually surpasses those physical miracles because it's more remarkable that God could work in your heart in such a way that you're willing to endure whatever trials that he has put in front of you, whatever people he has been put in front of you. You realize that, man, God is doing a work in me. It's supernatural. And I understand that it's not about me. It's about God. That's Paul's prayer for the church, that we would embrace his power. I think this is William Barclays. He says, endurance is what faith, hope, and love bring to an apparently impossible situation. While patience is what faith, hope, and love show to an apparently impossible person. You might want to frame that in one of those Hobby Lobby things and put that in your house. It takes power to resist our natural urges that only comes from the Lord. We've got to move on, but there's one key word here that's still left. Endurance, patience, with joy. Oh, now come on. Yep, with joy. And this is how you know it's supernatural. Because now it's not just enduring. Oh, I've got to be patient with this person because, you know, Jesus. Nope, it's happening with joy. Because you understand who God is and what he's done and what he's doing. And even if you don't get it all, you trust him. And so you're able to have joy, even in difficulty and even with difficult people. I was reading a story. We got to keep moving, so I'll kind of make it short. But um, there was a Christian businessman, and he had an employee, and she was like always happy. And he's like, what's the deal? She said, well, you know, I read my Bible. I'm a Christian. He's like, well, I read my Bible too. She said, Well, you don't read it right. (laughs) My Bible says glory in tribulation. G-L-O-R-Y doesn't spell growl. That is what you do. You growl in tribulation. If you gloried in it, then you'd find yourself looking at it as a challenge, as an opportunity for your Lord to display what he can do. And you'd be cheerful about it. That's a great lesson. When we can have that attitude, it reveals that God is at work in our hearts. We got to keep moving. Put a resolution with it. I commit to go to him first. 
I don't know where you're at. I don't know what the block is. I don't know what. You need God's power. Go to him first. Instead of complaining, instead of criticizing, instead of gossip, instead of trying to do it in your own strength. What if this year you said, you know what, I'm going to God first. Got a problem, got a situation, got a person. God, help me out. I need you to fill me with your knowledge. Show me. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding. Help me. Would it change? Would it change anything in your life? I bet it would. Put it to the test this year. Commit to go to him first. One more. How do we have joy? Three things we can always be thankful for. It's verses 12 through 14. Put it all together. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul's last prayer. Sing his praises. Sing his praises. Give thanks to the Father. Have an attitude of thanksgiving. This is the only way you're going to have joy in the midst of endurance and being patient and life circumstances and all the things that life throws at you. This is why Paul could say, listen, it's God's will. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you. There it is, his revealed will towards us that we would give thanks in everything, in Christ Jesus. What's going to help us give thanks? What's going to help us have joy? I hope we understand these, so I'm going to run through them quickly. But this probably should be another entire sermon here. Based on these verses, 12 through 14, number one, he has qualified us. He has qualified us through the work of Jesus on the cross. His death for our sins and the same power that raised him from the grave is what is available to us today. All qualifications have been met through Christ, which now enables us to have full standing as a child of God. He has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Literally, this is talking about, it's, it's a, a callback from the Old Testament. You could translate this phrase, um, He has given us an inheritance for the portion of the lot. And, and the image is when Israel went into the promised land. And the land inheritance got divided be, between the tribes. And what Paul is saying is, you've got a spot. He has qualified you to have a piece of that inheritance. These are privileges that you can't earn. You don't deserve. But God has qualified you through his son. You place faith in Jesus Christ. This inheritance is yours. Not only a future with him in eternity. But there's benefit now. You understand God's love today. You understand what it means to have God's power available to you to live this life. You understand what it means to have brothers and sisters in this room who you can call and depend on and live life with. These are benefits of being a child of God. But not only has he qualified us, he has rescued us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, but not only delivering us, he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. 
Again, reaching back to Israel, this idea of taking a people, transferring them to another land. Israel was slaves, were slaves in Egypt. They were transferred to the promised land where they were set free. Here is the image of the Christian, what God has done for us. He has taken us from bondage, slaves to sin. He has delivered us, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We are now set free from our bondage. He has rescued us. Third reason why we can sing his praises, why we can have joy in this life, he has redeemed us. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What does it mean to be redeemed? Simply here, our sins have been forgiven. Have been forgiven. It's done. You trust in Christ, it's done. You have been redeemed. Forgiveness and redemption are in Christ and only in Christ. But in Christ you are forgiven. In Christ you are free. Which means you can't be wondering, you shouldn't be wondering, do I measure up? But what about that thing I did? Does God really forgive me? If you are in Christ, the answer is yes. He has qualified you. He has rescued you. He has delivered you. You have been set free from your sin. This is true freedom. I commit to having a thankful heart. I don't know what that would look like for you in 2022. Could I encourage you to write something new down every day? took a prayer class in seminary years ago. I think it was one of my assignments. I had to write five things to be thankful for every day of the semester, and I couldn't repeat. Like, oh my goodness. I've never kept a journal in my life, and now this guy wants me to think. But you know what? Man, there's power there. And it wasn't that hard. You think that might change your perspective in 2022? You don't have to do that thing, but find something. Commit to having a thankful heart, put it to action. Paul's praying for things that matter. Yes, we should pray for people's sicknesses and ailments and circumstances and job loss and all the things that this world does. Pray for these things. But look at what he's praying for the church. He's praying for things that matter. That they would have an increased knowledge of God and His will. That they would walk in His way. That they would embrace His power. That they would sing His praises. This is things that we all need all the time. No matter if it's in 62 AD or 2022, we need this prayer. So don't tell the first service and we're done here. I have a bonus one for you. Love his church. There's no reference there. He just put Paul, his example. His heart for the church. Love his church. Look around this room. Now, yes, globally, but just let's start with this room. What would it look like for you to love this church this year? I commit to praying for the body of Christ. Start there. I'm going to cultivate a heart for some people in here. I'm going to cultivate this idea of what really matters. I challenge you to take a directory this year. Start praying for the people 
through the directory. What if I don't know who they are? Great! You can find out. There's phone numbers. There's email addresses. Stalk them on Facebook. Whatever it needs. They're part of our church. They're in our directory. Reach out. Make a new friend in 2022. Love his church in the way that Paul obviously loved the church. I challenge you to commit to these things this year. Being filled with God's word. Putting your knowledge to work. Going to him first. Having a thankful heart. And praying for the body of Christ. Let's pray. Dealer, I hope we got an answer to now what? Wherever we are in this, in this cycle, that we would know that there's, there's more to know, there's more to learn of you, of your will, and of how we are to act. Lord, I pray that you would, you would encourage us in these things. That we wouldn't look at this as, as laborsome, but we would look, this, look at this as privilege. That we would be excited about the opportunity we have to be a part of your work on this earth and especially a part of this church in this place. Lord, I pray that you would cultivate our heart this year, that we would be able to say with Paul, this is our desire for ourselves and the people around us, especially here in this church. We pray these things in your name. Amen.